Hey guys, how are we doing? Charlie, Connor, Ben. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Show Weekly Podcast. We are talking about crazy rich Asians this week. Just before we get started, though, uh, if you're joining us from our socials, thanks for the support. Please do go and check out our YouTube channel. Uh, if you're following along on our socials this week, then you will know that we are talking about crazy rich Asians. But before we get into that, it's been a hell of a week for news in film there's been a lot of casting um we had the oscars as well they released some of the award categories and sort of the um the short list yeah the short lists for them yeah. I've got those. yeah yeah so today is valentine's day and we thought we'd look at a romantic film so crazy rich asians is on the table to look at today directed by john m chu uh before we get started with that though what else have we been watching this week ben what have you been watching probably the witches thing the Discovery of Witches, yeah. I, I uh, actually haven't watched any of that this week. Oh, man. Here, let us down. Um, and that's, 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 uh, that's because I've not watched anything this week. I've had a very quiet couple of weeks. Um, but don't worry, I will rectify that for next week and come out with, a, with an absolute banger. Now that you've got Letterboxd. Yeah, I was just going to say. Tell everyone about your Letterboxd. Uh, currently just going through adding all the films that I've watched. Avatar was obviously number one on that list, straight to the top. Do you not want to plug the name in case you just want to get a load of followers? I mean, not <laughs> a load of followers. That's saying that loads of people listen to this podcast. Oh yeah, five hundred people last week. Did you not look at the thing? <laughs> it's right. You can find my letterbox name on our socials soon enough. Does that mean I, I've got something to do after this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Please be gentle. Please be gentle. I I, uh, I don't think I could take too much more abuse. I've watched uh, quite a few films this last week. I watched. Obviously, crazy rich Asians from there. I watched uh, Foxcatcher and the documentary on Netflix about the true case of the whole Foxcatcher thing. I've never heard of that, so do you want to explain? Oh, yeah, it was like um, <clears throat> Steve Carell was nominated for um, best lead in it. And it's the true, it was like, I want to say 2015 or thereabouts. And it was a true case of this um, member of a really rich family in America. And he decided to make like a wrestling team out of nowhere. Like he just started poaching like wrestlers and getting them to come work for him and stuff. But there's like more sinister stuff going on than that. It's like a sort of slow burn drama. But then there's the the documentary on Netflix about it, which is really good as well. But I think the standout film that I watched last week was Sound of Metal, and which is like absolutely which incredible. Which is not a reboot of the sound of music with heavy metal. No, version. that's what that's what I went in expecting, sadly. But um, <laughs> no, it was still really good. It was uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, leader, and Riz Ahmed, he doesn't really give anything away because this is the whole premise of it. But he um, he's in like a he's, in a he's a drummer in a metal band, and at the start of the film, he realizes he's losing his hearing, and he's like almost lost it completely, and he goes to the doctor to see what he can do about it. And the whole film is just about does he try and cling on to this old life or does he accept that he's probably not going to have any hearing from now on? Like, what's he going to do about it? So there is like hard moments in it. It's quite heavy, but it's like absolutely stunning performance. And the sound design is like incredible as well. So that's wow. my plug. I want to plug that film. It's um, 
It's like, what's that film with uh, Lady Gaga in? A Star is Born. Yeah, because he starts to lose his hearing and that, doesn't he? Or get tinnitus. Right, okay, I've not seen that. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, it'll be a bit similar to that then. Plug, I'll plug, I'll plug A Star is Born because I've not watched anything else. But that is is an absolutely insane film. Um, I really like that one. Very emotional. We were actually uh, going to watch um, A Star is Born this week. We were going to choose that as a film. However, we thought, you know, the last two weeks we've watched two pretty serious sci-fis and A Star is Born isn't, whilst it is a very romantic film, it's not the most uplifting one. So we, we, we chose Crazy Rich Asians instead. I'm kind of glad that we did. Yeah, spoilers, by the way, just, just in case you were. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Charlie? So I watched a film called Joan Didion, The Centre One at Hold. And I, I, when I watched it, I wanted to talk about that. But then I also watched Almost Famous, which immediately got a five stars from me so i think okay let's oh. talk about the five star yeah, one. yeah go on let's hear about that i'm intrigued um, but just before i did the joan didion one she's a writer from like the late 60s uh who wrote about the end of the 60s and the counterculture dying and if you've not read the white album by her then go and read it because it's really good uh but then almost famous is about uh, a young journalist who uh puts in to write at the Rolling Stone and gets it like accepted to go on tour with uh, a band from that era. They're a, f- a fictional band, but they're based on loads of American bands in the early 70s. Right. Um, but the guy who directed it and wrote it actually did that in real life. So it's just really good. It's very me film. It's like there's loads of late 60s, early 70s music in it and loads of hippies and stuff like that. So I, it was just a very me film. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty interesting. It's really good. If you like that sort of music, like you'll love that film. So yeah. Is there is there anyone like um does it have stars in it or is it more of a kind of low key yeah. Um what's her name? Oh god. <laughs> Sorry, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Oh right, okay. Yeah. She plays this really dreamlike girl in it. But is Kate Hudson got... still doing films? I've not seen her in anything for oh, a while. This is from two thousand. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, yeah. During his sort of breakout years, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, where, where did you where did you watch that? Can you tell us so we can watch? I it did that? not. Oh, you didn't watch it. Yeah. You didn't get to watch it. Right, okay, legally. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it she, it got criticised for her being like a manic pixie dream girl. But I mean, that's my vibe in it. So <laughs> <laughs> excellent. That's yeah. going on your on your new show bio. It's just my vibe, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm a dream pixie girl. That's just my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? What did you watch? Um, well, I mean, if you're not aware, wherever you're listening from, the UK is currently locked down, uh, and I'm staying with my uh, with my girlfriend. So it means I don't get to watch a lot of horror. Right, okay. Uh, however, this week I did get a chance. You know, I had headphones on, TV sort of turned away. <laughs> Um, and I, I decided to watch Hellraiser, which okay. is a very classic 80s film. Um, I'm working on something for Shoal uh, to do with horror. And I just wanted to see if it would if it would fit the kind of theme that I was going for. Uh, it's a great it's a great British horror. It, it's weird because it's dubbed over with American accents, because at the time with American slasher films doing so well in the 80s, you know, Friday the 13th. Right. Uh, and Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, 
it was so strange for a horror slasher to sort of be set in in Britain. And so some of the characters are very English and then some of the characters have this really awful American dub. Oh, However, it, it's it's quite a charming film, uh, not story-wise, but I mean, like the special effects, they're very charming and very appropriate for the age. Um, there's this amazing scene where, um, this, this is not really a spoiler, but this this person comes back to life and it's incredibly gory because they get rebuilt bit by bit and you see their skeleton come back together and you see all of their muscles come in attaching back nice. onto their skeleton. Uh, it's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Ben's not having a good time. <laughs> is this, uh, um, is it, was it Wes Craven? Or is it... No, um, it's a, it was quite an obscure, he, he was an author first, I think. Oh, was it Clive Barker, the director? As well? There we go. Yeah, Clive Barker. Oh, so okay. he, he's more of an author than, than a director and he wrote a novella which right. turned into the film uh but yeah no the the practical effects are fantastic like i said you know that person coming back to life it was all practical it was all reverse shots and makeup and it's a it's a great flick and it's made me want to watch all of the you know eight sequels that followed it but i don't know if uh they'll get That's better a commitment, isn't it it's a commitment um, well. but no a great a great film and it's rare that these days i get to watch a horror so uh it was a it was a welcome change for me i think because i've just been watching a lot of family friendly stuff and sci-fi and stuff for the podcast uh and i also watched dodgeball as well complete other end of the spectrum to Hellraiser. <laughs> nice dodgeball is a great film caught that last night it, i just didn't know what to watch and it was just there uh not on any streaming platform sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah great film uh but that's about it really that's all i watched yeah. Should we uh, move on to the ratings? Yeah, go on. Right, uh, let's go with Horse Girl, three stars. Who rated that? I've never even heard of Horse Girl. Neither have I, so I'm going to say... Neither have I, so I think it's oh, Chaz. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> it's got... Um, it's like a domino what? effect there, wasn't it? Yeah. It's got uh, the girl out of community in it. Alison Brie. It's really good. It's quite good. Is that, the, is that the reason you watched it, Charlie? Is that the only reason you watched it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who rated Hamilton 3.5? Uh, that would be me. Yeah, I think it'll be Joe because he's like the most interesting other than all those guys. Yeah, I've not made these very hard, have I? <laughs> um, Bird Box 3.5. I hated that film. It's going to be me, isn't it? Let's say Connor. Yeah, it was was me. I I was pretty generous. I thought it was, um, there were were bits in it that were kind of grating and cheesy, but like I thought the concept was good and there were some pretty cool moments in it. I've still not seen it. So, but uh, Redcliffe, four stars. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's, a <great laughs> film. it's a great film. Great film. It's a. Uh, it's it's a. Oh, when did it come out? Uh, let me have a look when it came out quickly. It it's a Chinese or it's an Asian film. Uh, I don't know who actually made it originally, uh, but it came out in two thousand and eight, and it's four hours and forty eight minutes long. Nice. All right. And it is. That's a bit much, isn't it? it it's. <laughs> I, had it, I had it on Blu-ray originally, and it's it's a two disker, and it is. Um, it's just a mass. It's just one long war film, basically covering um, the uh, the south of China, like rebelled against the Han Dynasty. It's quite like a famous uh, okay. um, period of Chinese history. I think it's um, it's epic. It's a bit of an epic. Uh, lots of sword fighting. Give it a go. 
cool. That sounds pretty cool. You've got five hours spare. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pretty mad week for film news. Um, a lot of big casting decisions and 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 stuff like that. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the big elephant in the room, which is to do with the Mandalorian. Uh, Gina Carano, who plays the uh, the rebel drop shock trooper Cara Dune, she's been fired from the show. Uh, she was warned a few months ago for some rather. She was warned for uh, some transphobic kind of thing, and, and that too, yeah. She could have kind of maybe it was a bit of ignorance at the time, but then surely once you get warned, you should have a bit more self awareness after that, shouldn't you? Really. And she was ultimately fired a few days ago for sharing a story on her Instagram uh, comparing her effort as a Republican and Republicans around her uh, to the uh, the Holocaust, essentially, how the Republicans the Republicans are being uh, criticized like like Jewish people were. Uh, and it just, you know, not OK, not OK at all. No. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, for one, am not too bothered about her leaving the show. I don't think the character brought much to the show. Really. Yeah, they're really going to struggle to recast that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all of those, uh, all those <laughs> plot lines that just are not <laughs> She really delivered the one-liners. Excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, it'll just be, uh, there'll just be a card at the start of the next season that says, like, she died on the way back to her home planet. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's just, it, that's yeah. it. Jar Jar Binks, like, knocked her out of the sky. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not too bothered that she has departed the show, uh, and hopefully we won't be seeing it on our screens anytime soon. However, on the other side of the Mandalorian coin, Pedro Pascal, who plays the titular Mandalorian, uh, he's had a great week because he's been cast in HBO's adaptation of The Last of Us. I didn't know that was happening either. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've been so out of it, out of the news cycle this week. Um, where have you been, Chaz? In my own little world, watching Almost Famous, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you're not familiar with The Last of Us, it is a one of the best-selling PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 franchises uh, of recent memory. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic sort of father-daughter vibe of a story, yeah. and uh, the, the main characters you've got Joel, who's the father figure, um, and then you've got Ellie, who's this little girl. Um, in the second game, you took over the role as a more grown-up Ellie, uh, and so Pedro Pascal has been has been cast as as uh, as uh, Joel. I was going to say Ellie then. That would be good casting. So the news was met with a bit of backlash because some people were saying that the role of Joe, who's this sort of suburban white dad, should have been played by an actor who fit the same ethnicity. Obviously, Pedro Pascal is a Chilean-American actor, uh, but I, I think he looks the part. He's going to be great. And then they've got some young girl who was previously in Game of Thrones to play Ellie. I'm not too sure about her background. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm i more of an Xbox guy, so I never really played the games. Yeah, but I've not I know played them either, really. But, you know, I've watched a few playthroughs of them, and, and I've caught trailers, and, you know, it looks like the kind of thing that would adapt well to, to miniseries, so... Yeah, uh, and, yeah. One game you... adaptation I want to see is Little Bit Planet. Yeah. We yeah, we'll have to have a discussion about video games that we think would translate really well. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be interesting because Last of Us games they're already quite cinematic, aren't they? So it's like, mm -hmm. are they just going to do a kind of straight adaptation and then 
will that be interesting enough? Or do you think they'll kind of take the core characters and just go on their own thing? Like, I think really they'll do a thing? direct adaptation of the of the games because you've got to remember that the, the games have only been seen by one demographic and that's yeah. not just gamers, but just specifically PlayStation gamers. Yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of gamers that never got a chance to play the games. There's going to be a lot of people who aren't gamers who, who will be able to see the story. So I don't think they'll change it. Yeah. I think it will largely yeah. stay the same. Um, speaking of a game that is also being ad adapted is Borderlands. Uh, I've played Borderlands. Oh, yeah. Anyone here play Borderlands? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. a great... Yeah. yeah. Um, Look at the stars in that. that I know. Mental. It's fantastic. Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Hart just to name a few. Uh, I think they all are going to look the part. I'm not too familiar with Borderlands characters, but I know that a lot of fans are happy. I've seen a lot of tweets uh, um, applauding the uh, casting yeah. des uh, decisions there. Uh, in other news, Walt Disney died. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Um, my last bit of news for this week uh, is I've been following closely the, the story of Zack Snyder versus Warner Brothers in his attempt to get his version of the Justice League released. Obviously, it is coming to HBO Max and other services in March. But the bigger fight behind all of that was Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in the film. Uh, he's had an ongoing investigation within Warner Brothers uh, against Joss Whedon because apparently he, he was quite abusive on the set and orchestrated um, Zack Snyder's departure from the project as well. Uh, and now sort of taking a bigger step into Joss Whedon's directorial history, a lot of stars from Buffy the Vampire Slayer have come forward saying that, you know, 20 years ago when they were doing that show, he was as equally as abusive on set, abused his power as a young director and as a man as well. Uh, and so it, it's good to see that a lot of stars are coming forth to support Ray Fisher in that. Because um, yeah. sadly, Ray Fisher has been fired from the upcoming Flash movie in which he was set to play Cyborg for a second time. So at the moment, I'm just kind of feeling for the guy. And I feel like the Zack Snyder's Justice League director's you know, cut thing, whatever it is, um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for everyone who was involved in that project. Um, and it's going to be a breath of fresh air for Ray Fisher, hopefully. And I mean, I, for one, I hope we never see Joss Whedon in the director's chair again, because yeah. uh, so many things are coming out. And, you know, the man just can't do lighting. I don't know about, <laughs> I don't know about you, but if you compare, like if you, you can tell he started off as a TV director. Yeah. Because all of his films look like TV. If you compare Avengers Infinity War and Endgame by the Russo brothers, and you compare the cinematography in that to the cinematography in the first Avengers film. I mean, first of all, the first Avengers film is an open matte film. It's 185 by one. And the lighting is so flat. It just looks like a TV movie. Yeah. Um, I yeah. never really realized that was probably kind of a problem I had with it when it came out. You know, when there's yeah. something about a film that you don't like and you can't put your finger on it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, it's just really flat, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he uh, he was pulled up on that because the second film that he did for them, he did Age of Ultron as well. That went back to a more traditional cinema scope, 235 by one aspect ratio, and the, the cinematography was largely fixed. But yeah, that first Avengers film, I, I struggled to go back and watch it because of you know yeah. because of his yeah. uh, his artistic 
uh, or, well, it's not even artistic, is it? It's <laughs> for a huge Hollywood right, movie. Right. You know, it it looks like the Inhumans TV series that was yeah, <laughs> looked terrible. Uh, and you could see the same thing happening in the Justice League. You know, how stunning. You know, whether you liked it or not, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, whether you liked the story or not, those films were gorgeous. Yeah, they yeah. were so, so nice. He knows how to do visuals, doesn't he? Schneider. Yeah. Uh, and then Justice League came out, and it again it looked like Avengers TV movie, and you know I could yeah. talk about that for for days. Really, the costumes in the first Avengers really remind me of you know that really old Batman series. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I yeah. just can't get I can't get that image out of my head of like. You think they're too bright and campy? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and like yeah. compared to what's come later. Yeah, I guess you know with it being the first Avengers outing, it was supposed to evoke that sort of nineteen sixties like first yeah, team up yeah. for, you know the first run of comics but yeah i do get what you mean and like i said hopefully yeah hopefully we'll never see his input again the final bit of news i guess is that the um shortlist the oscars a few of the categories have been announced do you want to run through them for us i'm not gonna go yeah i'm not gonna go through every film and everyone but i'll tell you that i'll tell you the categories that have been announced so it's documentary feature documentary short subject international feature and then there's ones like make player styling um the two music categories animated shorts live action shorts and visual effects um and there's a lot of films in here that i've not seen actually there's in um documentary feature um there's a film called Rip camp which is about an old disabled summer camp um it, i think i don't know if netflix produced it but it's on netflix and um, it's meant to be like a bit of a milestone and like disability history, a bit of like um, a trailblazing thing. And I've made a documentary about that. I feel so like that's an area that we don't see much, unlike especially yeah. documentaries. Yeah, it's, yeah, especially document because sometimes it's sort of Oscar baity films where it's a star playing a disabled person. That's when you get the yeah. representation a lot of the time. So we good to see a documentary. Um, yeah, there's a lot of. I mean, this is the shortlist, so there's you know there's still a lot of films in every category. I didn't realize they did this. They did this each year. Shortlist. Yeah, I, I've missed it previous years. I think yeah. I'm pretty sure they do. Um. So yeah, that's just on the Oscars website, and I'm sure loads of entertainment people have put that out. If you want to see the, if you want to read through the whole list, so. Right, I think it's about time we uh talk about the film of the week, isn't it? Crazy Rich Asians does exactly what it says on the tin. The tin, yeah. <laughs> ben, why do you why don't you kick us off? Okay, so a little bit of a fact rundown for Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, it was released on August seventh, uh, twenty eighteen, and a few days later in the US, which is pretty much standard. Uh, directed by John M. Chu, it has a running time of one hundred and twenty two minutes. Uh, for a budget of around 30 million um, guesstimate, uh, they're never really exact, uh, and it uh, grossed at the box office 238.5 million dollars. So it did pretty well. Um, it's not broken any records or anything, but it uh, it was it was pretty big hit at the time. It kind of went a little bit yeah. viral, um, t- depending, you know, due to a, a number of different factors, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. Uh, in a minute. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's on uh, it's on Amazon right now. If you want to watch it, it's uh, it's on there. Um, and I guess it had a bit of a an audience from because it's adapted from a, a novel, isn't it? So I guess it would have had a bit of an audience from that to come over and see the film. That probably helped it at the box office. What did we all think? 
I think it was largely inoffensive. I don't mean that in sort of racial terms. I just sort of mean inoffensive in the fact that it wasn't trying to do something that it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't trying to be something that it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. you know, for rom-com, I think that's always, that it either plays it completely safe and goes completely cliche, or it tries something completely new, which just yeah. falls flat. Um, I can think of so many rom-coms that fall into both categories, but this really just managed to walk the line between that. Uh, and for me, I, it was very refreshing. I, I was half yeah. expecting to be watching it and scrolling on my phone, you know, for the majority of it and just looking up just to get the gist of the cliches. But I, I actually had my phone down the whole time and I, re I really liked it. And there, I don't think there was anything to dislike about it. And I know yeah. that, yeah, it's, it's not a perfect film, but for one thing, it has the potential to open doors for so many more Asian-led projects. Um, especially, you know, it's a film that for once allows Asian women just to play Cinderella and, and, and you know, slide the, the glass slipper on, even if it's just for a moment. Uh, and I think it was great for that. And and then on the other hand as well, it it was just refreshing and... I, like I said, crazy rich Asians. It it did, did what it said on the tin, really. Do you think you were more um, uh, maybe immersed? It's not about, but do you think you were more? Um, do you think you were more immersed in the film than you thought you would be because it was a new a new sort of world that you were being plonked in? Like it was the, obviously incredibly rich people, and it was like Southeast Asian and Asian American culture. Do you think that helped you be more interested in it than you thought you'd be? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, with a film like this, it, you know, me being a white British spectator, there was a lot of risk for me to be alienated in a film like this. But I never once felt alienated at all uh, because I think a film like this, it can go one of two ways. It, it, you know, if it's a film about a different culture, it can either be completely alienating or it can rely on such an obscene amount of exposition. Yeah which completely takes you out of that kind of film experience. Mm. And again, like I said before, it really manages to walk that fine line between those two things. Uh, I know we had a small conversation about it yesterday. Um, we just had a bit of a catch up and we mentioned that, you know, they don't explain the rules of Mahjong. Yeah, it's good, yeah. They just play it, you know, and, and there are obviously cultural terms for one's grandmother or one's mother or one's children. They don't explain those terms. They just they just say them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, for one, really applaud the script's lack of exposition. You know, it was just, here's a guy and a girl, and you're going to learn some things along the way. You're not going to know everything about this culture. We're not going to explain it to you because we don't have to. Just yeah. come along for the ride. It's a really good ride, and I was very happy. I was I was satisfied. I think satisfied is probably a good good way to put it. Yeah, you're right. It didn't really offend. It just kind of stuck loosely to your traditional kind of rom com script. Uh, script. There was some funny bits. There's some funny characters. You know, there's um the guy from The Hangover who basically yeah. plays the same character. But yeah, just can, yeah. in in a, in a father figure, um, yeah. which is just quite funny to see mm. actually, um, and definitely puts the crazy in the uh, in the crazy rich Asians. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's quite an interesting film actually. Um, behind some behind the scenes a little bit, um, it's quite a, a nice 
project, uh, I found out that actually um, all of the jewellery in the film, and by the way, given that it's called Rich Asians, uh, there's a lot of jewellery in this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's all uh, real, and the director insisted that it all be real. So a lot of them are borrowed from private collections. Um, and yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting just to, you can kind of look at it and think, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Like that exists, um, which is quite nice. You know, the, the production design was really good. I would say that like, um, I like it even more now I've heard that. Like I, just, I like a lot of things like that, that people just choose to, to make the films in a certain way. But like, you know, the costumes and the sets and the, um, there were quite a lot of locations as well. Um, I think it was very. I think it was really interesting in that way as well. So I was going to say the uh, the costumes as well. Another really interesting fact you'll like about it um, for the wedding, which is quite a you know main scene in the uh, in the film. Um, all of the extras were actually from a uh, local history society, and they were asked to wear their vintage clothes, just um, but their own vintage clothes, just to give it that kind of local flavour. Um, yeah, so it's all authentic cool. clothes and and stuff, which is yeah, it's quite a nice yeah. uh, detail to add in. Charlie, what did you think about the film? I think when you said it's inoffensive, I think you've you've nailed it for me. It's just mm -hmm. I definitely wouldn't have watched that film if it wasn't for the casting. Like it just, it I just yeah. wouldn't have bothered. Like this, like, for me, the story is just—it's really boring. It's yeah, just it's, yeah. I've I've seen that before, but the casting, but in the, the Asian cast really sets it apart for me. It's, it, like it would have wouldn't have got three stars from me apart from the casting. So. Yeah, you've got um, as you said, Ken Young from Hangover and um, a lot of other communities, a lot of comedy roles. Jimmy O Yang, who is. Uh, stand-up comedian he's also been in silicon valley that sitcom if you've seen well i don't know if it's a sitcom really but that comedy series um you have Gemma chan um great actress british actress yeah. who i totally forgot was in fresh mate because she um mm. she went out with um jack whitehall for a long time apparently so that, that figures i guess she's been in um, so many things doctor who she's been yeah. in, uh, being human i think and uh she was in Captain Marvel as well. She's been in some Channel 4, some really good Channel 4 series as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I know yeah. some of those were Channel 4. But... Mm -hmm. And also you have um, Michelle Yeoh, who was in Captain Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I didn't realise watching the film, uh, as the as the mother, the, uh, the matriarch of the film. Yeah. So you've got, like, big, you know, huge star cast from all corners of the globe. I think that's really good. The one person I really didn't like, I, I, I just didn't like her acting, was, um, I don't know her name, the one that gets cheated on. Spoiler. Oh, that's Gemma Chan. Yeah. Gemma Chan. Astrid, yeah. oh, I really didn't like her acting. <laughs> Why? How come? Oh, God. She's she she just the worst part of it for me. I just mm -hmm. Every time she was on screen, I was like, oh, my God, just... <laughs> Why she was casting, I, think, I don't know. I think that was maybe, for me, I think that was maybe just the contrast in the film. You know, we kind of, on one hand, had this... Uh, lovely dovey relationship where everything was kind of going pretty much awesome and on, the, on yeah. the other side of it you've got the other side of the coin which is you know with all this wealth with all this craziness actually there's there's a bit of heartbreak and a bit of yeah. sadness so yeah to be honest it wasn't acted I, I don't know it's a it's a very difficult thing to act i think in a very uplifted film so maybe i think it's maybe too much he of was a... just playing a rich asian not a crazy rich asian <laughs> essentially <laughs> yeah yeah, but no, I, I largely liked it. 
I suppose she was there to be this sort of contrast to um, to Rachel, uh, yeah. you know, the, the the lead the lead role, um, and it was I I do kind of agree with you. For me, it was largely refreshing to see Gemma Chan's scenes as Astrid. It was a nice break away from from the sort of because you know you you definitely as watching the film you definitely are put in Rachel's shoes. You know you are as equally overwhelmed as she is to be learning. Or about all this, you know, this culture and all the rich families and all these names that you have to keep up with, yeah. uh, all these new locations. It's overwhelming. And, and for me, I think to switch to those more familiar dramatic scenes between Astrid and her husband uh, was a little bit refreshing. But I can see your point. You know, the, the performance was a little bit stiff and it, it could have been more. One thing I wasn't a fan of was the, um, the sort of mid credit scene of Gemma Chan's character just like locking eyes with some guy at the party at the end as if like don't worry she's going to be in another relationship she can't be on her own like you know it was just a bit and it also like because it because i think my problem with it more was that because it was places like a mid-credit scene it made it seem like it was some really important pivotal scene and it was just like that just kind of wasn't needed do you know what i mean <laughs> the uh, crazy rich asian cinematic universe you got to <laughs> I feel like I feel like it, that was just the epitome of it wasn't trying to offend anyone. So rather than leave this kind of semi-main character on her own, you know, turning into a spinster with with a child, it's like actually, you know what? She's got a chance. Don't worry about it, guys. Yeah, She'll be that's a, okay. That's exactly what it was. That's just what I'm just a bit like that wasn't needed really. Uh, one thing I forgot about the casting as well was I never say her name correctly, but Aquafina. Aquafina. Yeah, she was great as the sort of. Um, Rachel's uh, college friend, the buddy, yeah, yeah, it's the, the funny buddy uh, role. She was great. She was good. Yeah, so it's a fun fact about her role is that she was supposed to have all these different wigs throughout the film. Because in the right. book, she is this fashionista. She's obsessed with, you know, all these clothes that she has. Yeah, uh, and so she's supposed to have a different wig every day. However, the um, this the first scene that they they shot in the film with her in was the table scene in, in the, the one that um uh is it ken jung yeah ken jung yeah. is playing her father and because he makes that ellen degeneres joke to his daughter it, it, everyone in the room was just you know in stitches laughing and it just worked so um uh, aquafina just decided to say to the director you know i'm gonna keep this wig because it just it fits my character now you know my yeah. my, my in-universe dad made this really good joke it wasn't scripted and um, he's so good so, yeah. at improv um yeah it's, it's amazing as if he's a surgeon like as if he was a doctor in real life like he was yeah, a it's great bad, isn't it <laughs> yeah can you imagine he's just like opening you up for some kind of you know open heart surgery just starts, starts cracking jokes like, <laughs> yeah. pulse. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> um i think one casting choice we need to talk about is henry golding who plays uh nicholas young uh he's what I like is that a lot of the cast is is either Asian um, Asian American, Asian English, and Henry Golding's no exception. He's he's the son of I'm trying to remember now. Oh, what's it? Clive Golding? Oh. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. He's British presenter. Obviously, Henry Golding went on himself to be a presenter um, in the Travel Show in 2014. It's a BBC thing. He was oh, very young. Okay. At that. So so for him to go from something like that. So this is kind of his first film. I think it's great, but overall, you know, casting someone like that in a movie like this, it 
it really highlights that distinction between Asian and Asian American slash English. And it's a conversation that we've rarely seen in mainstream films. Yeah. And, and one of the really interesting things about Crazy Rich Asians is how, um, how fully the cast allows for these inter-community sort of conversations to get teased out. Um, and that makes me really excited for a sequel because it is one of three books and the sequel is on the oh, way. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think that the adaptation of the novel it, and the combination of the casting as well, yes, it's built on a largely derivative, derivative like rom-com story, but the film is has a lot of real-world points to make about the distinction between Asian and Western Asian cultures. And contrary to how we were talking about Avatar last week, and in, in the sense that you know, how do you put political issues into a film without causing others or without making it seem too derivative or too shoehorned in? I think Crazy Rich Asians did a really good job of that by, you know, it has these real world, real world points to talk about that, you know, there's a lot of divide and segregation between, um, you know, Chinese nationals and Chinese people who are second, third generation born in Western countries. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel sh too shoehorned in. It's just there, and it's commented upon rather casually. It's not it's not done through exposition, and I think that makes it seem like this discussion is just about to get started. And you know, with a sequel in the works, I think that discussion is only going to keep getting more developed and more nuanced. Do you know if the subsequent novels follow the same characters, like the exact same characters? Yeah, so um, I this is only from my housemate's knowledge because she was as soon as she found out we were doing this as our film of the week, she was obsessed and she <laughs> made it all watch it together. She's read all three books and she's oh, she informed okay. me that the second book actually follows Rachel. Um, obviously, she learned about the fact that her father was still alive oh, towards yeah, the first film. Spoiler. So the second book, yeah. Um, so the second <laughs> book goes. To, um, down that route and she travels to mainland China to find her dad and spoiler alert for the second book and obviously the film to come uh, she finds out that her dad is one of the richest men in China and she actually turns out to be more rich than her husband well, to be Nick you were meant to destroy so... the rich Asians not join them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. so she becomes the very thing she swore to destroy. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, and I think it will also, yeah. because Rachel, the character, you know, had this upbringing of, you know, yes, you are Chinese, but you're also American. Uh, you have different values. I think for her to be all of a sudden introduced into like her father, who has all this money, I think that's only going to raise the issue of Asian and Asian American again. I'm looking forward to that conversation when it arrives. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That will be really yeah. interesting. Another quick thing that I really liked about it, which is um, we haven't really talked about yet, is the music. I was just about mm. to comment on this. Yeah. Well, I just, I just like the fact that they covered they covered a few Western pop songs, but in uh, in Chinese. I would like the Beatles, Coldplay. Yeah, they did Coldplay. They did Madonna. They did uh, Money. That's what I want. Um, yeah, I thought it, it was really good to just like recognize these songs, but like. Also, have to be slightly different. I just, I just thought it had a nice little, uh, added a little thing to the film that I quite liked. I love Coldplay, and it took me ages to figure out it was yellow. And when I figured it out, I was like so disappointed in myself. <laughs> <laughs> earlier, 
<laughs> it's quite interesting actually because I think it's something we've seen more of. Um, if you've watched Bridgerton, um, there's quite some quite famous pop songs which are basically classicalized let's make that a word um and they're played on string quartets and it's actually it's distinctly modern but actually it's played you know it's redone uh, okay. it's quite interesting you know i think um yeah. now you've pointed out because actually I, I didn't um think of that but now you pointed out we see maybe seeing that a bit more it's quite cool actually it's quite yeah. nice i think uh when you put music into film like that you know it takes the essence of the song but but applies it more culturally i think that's more successful than say something that the great gatsby did back in 2012 which was you know this film set in the 1920s and then put modern day r&b music into it it really uh, annoyed me when i watched yeah. that film. like yeah it totally took me out of the world uh, another example of it there, there's another film a knight's tale with a very young heath ledger in it that does oh, the yeah. same thing puts music by queen in this medieval jousting film oh what <laughs> and what well, i mean the argument for Greg Gatsby and The Knight's Tale in that regard is that what the, the directors have always said, well, the reason we put modern music in it like that is so that, you know, back then in those respective times, music to those people felt modern and new and contemporary and amazing. And so, you know, we take our music that we also hold in the same regard and, and put it in a film like that so it stays relevant to us. But I find that really problematic. And so I think, yeah, it's jarring. You could, you could argue that, like, you could do that for any any film that's set in the past, then, couldn't you? Like, <laughs> any that's set in the sixties, like, the music felt new then. Yeah. Put, when's it end? Like, you might as well just make it more accurate to the time. I think it's insulting to an yeah. audience. I think you know, it's like saying to us that you you can't suspend your disbelief enough. You need modern music. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to cope with this. So uh, I really like how Crazy Rich Asians, yeah, took those, you know, took those songs and and apply them to their culture. I really like, as Ben said, Bridgerton. If you haven't watched that, it's on Netflix at the moment. They took modern songs and uh, obviously it's set during the, the Georgian rule of England. So they they had those modern songs replayed on instruments that were around at that time. Classicized, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, classicized. I have coined this new word, please, all copyright and uh, you know royalties come straight to me. Thank you very much. Um, another thing I... Well, it annoyed me about the film was the editing at the beginning. Like, I liked it that it was like split screen and we had all these like visuals coming onto it. Yeah. And then you get like twenty minutes into the film and then all that just disappears and like mm. never, yeah. never seen again. I don't. I know what you mean. I was a bit like, okay, this isn't a start of editing that I'm particularly fond of, but it goes with this film. I kind of hope yeah. it carries on and they use the inventiveness of it for things. But yeah, it just they just and then it just it dies. You don't yeah. see it again. Mm. A lot of films do that. I think, I think, yeah. I think maybe the the only saving grace maybe for that is that at the start there's a lot going on like there's there's quite a lot of different things yeah, bubbling yeah. away and then it kind of it's it almost feels like load a little loads and loads of different like you know kind of paths they just kind of join into one main one which is yeah. basically we're now following the storyline and it, as it goes across so I don't know it's it's difficult but yeah I can see why that it is a bit jarring how it goes it like flips styles almost halfway through. Well, I mean, I, I have a counter argument to that in that it's probably largely down to the task of of adapting a book, you know, and I imagine yeah. that all of those, you know, those infographics that were superposed on the screen going through, the, you know, that sort of montage, the editing, it was all probably done to take a, like, you know, probably a 20 to 30 page chapter of a book and get it yeah, done in true. one minute. Yeah. No, I... So it's probably something to do with adaptation. 
I like I enjoyed that editing. Like like Connor said, it that fit the theme of the the film. But just to just leave it out after that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Maybe if they brought it back in later on, it would have been a bit more full circle. Yeah. Um. Uh-huh. A lot of films, it's like breaking the fourth wall and then not doing it for the rest of the film. Yeah. It's like, why, why bother another, them? Another thing that uh, bugged me a little bit, and it only really bugged me at the end when I realised, was um, the main character was a, a professor and they were talking about game theory at the start, and game theory came up in the Mahjong game with the, the matriarch at the end. Then it made me realise, like, why they should have they should have utilised that a little bit more during the film to bring out more of her character. Do you know what I mean? I think I would have been more... I think I just, it would have been a bit more interesting to me. Yeah, I think you just got to remember that it's it's trying to it's just I think it's trying to be quite basic in the right way, but I think yeah, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't trying to complicate because if you I think if you took the film and made it more complicated, I don't think it would have worked as well because I think you were able to follow it, have a good laugh, have a good watch, you know, get involved in the storyline, you know, yeah. oh, the kissing, happy, and oh, there's a funny joke, you know, rather than be too bogged down in the kind of uh, underlying. Yeah, I don't mean, um, I, I guess I don't mean make it to, I don't mean like add another theme to it. I just mean it would add a bit more to her character. Because another problem with the film was, other than other than the con- the conflict between the main character and the, the matriarch of um, her boyfriend's family. Like, I just, I don't know, I wanted more conflict and I wanted more, how is she going to resolve this rather than oh it kind of just is being resolved as we go along do you know what i mean like i wanted more of her character to come out to solve the problem of the conflict i guess and you know it 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 did towards the end i suppose again that's a trade-off of adaptation is that you know if you want context go read the book you know film you know as successful and offensive as we have all agreed it is it's still you know, it's still a business. It's still trying to make money. Yeah. It made a shitload of money, uh, and it was only an hour and a half long. It didn't need to do any of that stuff because the director would argue, "Go read the book if you want that yeah. extra, you know, yeah. drawing out of characters." Which you know is a big thing you can talk about with any adaptation. You know, how far should an adaptation go? Yeah. Because um, if they had adapted the whole book, it could have been three hours long. And let's be real, no rom com has ever successfully made <laughs> three hours. Yeah. Another thing, um, I know they're crazy rich Asians and they can do what the hell they want with their money, but why the hell would you have water going up to the altar on your wedding? No, I, I, your feet everywhere. <laughs> I thought that. I was like, your dress yeah, would be so okay. The dress would be wet, your feet would be wet. Although was... I, I was like, I was like, your dress would be wet, and my girlfriend just went, they're so rich, she'll just have another dress. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll not have another pair of shoes at the altar ready yeah. for her to into yeah. just step out onto a towel <laughs> it looked good though i can see what like yeah. as a, as a aesthetic. Yeah, it, it, it did some visually um great stuff like the fireworks at the end and uh all the kind of sets like we said the productions the production design was really good you know there was in fact i got a great stat about this what one last fact just to uh, <laughs> see us off uh so there's a there's a fake tiger in the film and it prom- it features quite prominently in, in yeah. kind of the background on one of the scenes and uh, it turns out fake tiger is actually really hard to get hold of. And the only one that they could have used uh, was one that was in a London museum. And uh, basically the props director or whatever, whoever it was, essentially realized that it would be a bit of a pain to get that through customs. 
So what they decided to do was to make a fake one uh, with felt and uh, and you know threading and sew it. And so basically they they made a tiger. Uh, it turns out they made it so well that that one had trouble getting into the country because it uh, <laughs> got stuck in customs Amazing. because all the guards because all the guards thought it was a real tiger and they were <laughs> smuggling tigers around. These crazy rich Asians, man. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing, though. If I could have anyone to organize my bachelor party, that shirtless cousin yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. do my party anytime. That looked great. <laughs> that was um, carnage, wasn't it? Right, guys. Well, we should let everyone get on with their Valentine's Day, but it's been great to talk about crazy rich Asians. We will be back week after next on our regular day. Uh, We're going to be looking at quite something quite different next time. I know, Charlie, you've picked this one. Yeah, it's called uh, This Is Not A Film by Jafar Bahani uh, from 2011. Okay, it's a documentary, isn't it? Yeah, well, sort of. It sort of blurs the line between documentary and and fiction. That sounds great. Well, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. I hope you enjoy the rest of Valentine's Day, uh, and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. This is a special podcast for all you lovers out there.